Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What a fitting word this is from 2 Corinthians for this uh, very tumultuous week. After this week's worth of news, the promise that concludes this verse, that the God of love and peace would be with us, is really sort of a felt need among American society right now, right? Love and peace. Two things which stand in contrast uh, to their opposites, hatred and conflict. That is, also we see conflict caused by hatred um, and hatred caused by conflict. Love and peace are Bible words. They're not hippie words, even though that's what we usually associate it with. And they're what we need right now. And 2 Corinthians 13.11 um, gives us a roadmap for how to get there that we can follow if we want that final outcome of the God of love and peace being with us. And it begins first with Paul's command to rejoice. It's sort of an ultra-distilled version of what Paul says in m- m- most of his letters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's important, I think, that the Christian always remembers that the source of our joy lies independent of any circumstance, individual or national. But whether you're on a vacation, or in a jail cell, or quarantine, or in the midst of the French Revolution, the case remains that you who trust in Jesus have been ransomed from the inevitable fate of an eternity away from God, from ultimately death and eternal suffering. By the mercy of Jesus, we have been forgiven our particular sins, and that we've been given eternal life rather than eternal death. That gospel remains true in any and every circumstance, and because it remains true, there's always a reason to rejoice. The reason is that we are a redeemed sinner. And if you're on Zoom, I'd invite you, I'd actually ask if you'd mute, because otherwise it's like a rustling sound on our end. So please mute if you're listening in on Zoom. Moreover, um, not only have we been ransomed, but as we celebrate on Trinity Sunday especially, we have been brought into the life of the triune God. By the Holy Spirit has been poured out, we've been grafted into the body of Jesus himself, and because we are in Jesus, we are able to stand before the Father. That the triune God himself has brought us into interactive relationship with him, that each of us in our Christian lives is seeking to lean into more day to day, right? Talking to God, listening to God, seeking to cooperate with his will in our lives. Sometimes that will of his for our lives uh, involves suffering, right? Clearly in the life of Jesus, certainly in the life of Paul, and as we know in our lives too. It's a, become a truism, and it's hard to remember when the pain really stings, um, but the suffering that God permits to happen, it really is Uh, like the rubbing alcohol in the wound. It stings, but it's good for us. It cleanses the wound. In our our case, the infection in our hearts of overworldliness, of loving too much the things of this world and not enough the things of God. So as Christians then, what that means is we can look at anything painful like rubbing alcohol, that it's actually cleansing uh, and good and it's part of God's work. So whether it's the possibility of getting sick from coronavirus, 
whether it's um, the economic uncertainty that's been created by the shutdown and our own, perhaps, financial security, whether it's the disruption we feel that's been caused by protesting, whether it's the unease caused by um, sort of the reevaluation of the question, did the civil rights movement accomplish what it set out to? And the black community, many members of the black community are saying, no, it didn't. And perhaps daily life might have some tension in it that was, didn't exist a few months ago for most of us in our interactions. Um, some discomfort, uh, especially across black-white race lines together. But all of these things, from pandemics to protests, the uncertainty they create, um, this is not some bug that sort of derails the Christian life. It's actually the very things that God can use to root us more deeply in our Christian life in him to cling more tightly to the immortal truths of the gospel. That's why Paul begins, brothers, rejoice. Take joy in your status as a redeemed sinner. And then, figure out how to get along with each other, right? That's what the great commandment we hear every Sunday, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is operating on that same logic. Rejoice, and then he gives us four exhortations of how we're supposed to interact with each other. Now, St. Paul wrote those exhortations to the church, right? To the church in Corinth. Um, but I believe the application of these four exhortations is wider, especially when we consider that 70% of this country professes to be Christian. Now, I know a lot of people, Christians will sort of scoff and say, well, yeah, but do their lives look like it? And it's like, careful where that finger points, right? Because we're all hypocrites to a degree. Who isn't a hypocrite by degrees? None of our lives matches up to our profession. We profess that God the Spirit lives inside of us and we're united to the God-man with the ability to do greater works than he did. Right? Whose life lives up to that? Not mine. So we're all in degrees of hypocrisy and just hoping that the Lord over time makes us less hypocritical. But it is the case 70% of people in this country profess to be a Christian. I, I would not say the statement that we are a Christian nation. But it is the case that there are a lot of Christians in this nation, right? Just demographically. Christians who we know have different skin colors. So when we interact with any national issue in America, it's important for us Christians to remember that we are interacting with a lot of other Christians, which means Bible injunctions about how you treat the church apply um, somewhat directly to our situation as, as we interact with our nation. That's how I think we can apply these exhortations in 2 Corinthians 13 11 to our present situation. Situation. So it's for aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, and live in peace. The only hope we have of arriving at the end of living in peace and then the promise of the God of love and peace being with us, I think is if we follow those three steps, especially um, across any divide that we're presented with, whether it's a divide of ideology, or of interpretation of the current events, a divide among status or a divide among race. And of course, I have especially in view um, the divide that exists between the black and the white communities in this country. I think as Christians, we must follow these steps. So the first is aim for restoration. Um, I love this language of aim um, because you know it conjures to mind a target. And a target you can miss on either side. On the one side, um, you can miss with uh, injustice, right? And actually failing to execute what, uh, a fairness and a justice, and that would need to be corrected. But on the other side would be a vengeance or vindictiveness. Right? That also would not be restoration. That would be too far on the other side. 
aim for restoration. Set clearly the objective, abstract goal of restoration of what is wrong and has been wronged. All Christians, uh, all Americans should long for equitable justice. And no one in this country, I hope, would say um, that we have perfectly executed justice in every instance, right? Justice is always this goal that we're striving towards and having to kind of constantly course correct to try and find true north. Aim for restoration. But the next step, I think, is where um, the rubber really meets the road and where it really counts. The second exhortation is comfort one another. You only need comfort if you're hurting, right? If someone just offers you comfort on a regular day, you'd be like, what are you doing, man? I'm fine. I'm having a good day. You need comfort when you hurt. And um, one of the things that, you know, as I think we're all kind of reading through the news and trying to sift through, like, what, st- what statistics are reliable and what narrative do you trust? Um, how do you figure out, like, what the objective case is? Uh, one of the things I think we can rely on in the midst of that confusing uh, sort of state of affairs uh, is, is listening to who is voicing hurt. And one of the things that's true right now is that um, many in the black community are saying, we are hurting. Right? It's the emotional motive that's underneath the peaceful protests and then also the worst ones. We are hurting. Hearing of hurt, what is the Christian to do first? Comfort. Not argue about the legitimacy of the hurt or whether um, point out in, pointing out other hurts elsewhere, but comforting each other. Glosses for comfort. Empathize, affirm, strengthen. I, um, I, I was on a conference call with some black pastors here in town earlier this week, um, and they said that even though there aren't protests here in the county like we see in the big cities, um, they're getting calls all day from their parishioners, who are almost all black, saying that this, the events of this week have just torn open an inner wound and that there's a sort of inner tumult and pain in the black community here in Lee County. I heard that from the pastors. So what I think that means is, for those of us who maybe don't feel the hurt personally, to offer comfort to those who are hurting, which I think pretty practically means that white Christians should adopt an approach of comfort towards black Christians in our speech, in our writing, and as the Lord presents indeed. Right? Whatever the Lord presents us, we should comfort. That should be our, our posture of what to do first in the face of hurt. Aiming for restoration, prioritizing comfort, um, these are the only ways of even coming within, um, within a stone's throw of the third step, which is agreeing with one another. Right? We've, seen it, we've seen this week how difficult it is to agree with one another. There's all these conflicting interpretations and data and all this stuff. But one of the only ways we can really get to sort of um, cognitive alignment is if we first have been practicing compassion. Our, our minds actually are steered by our wills. And when we with our, with our will seek to, to show comfort and compassion, our mind is able to sort of more clearly find alignment where we can, agreeing with one another. And even when we try and agree with one another, we're still not always going to see eye to eye, and that's okay, actually. That's why Paul gives us a fourth and final step, live at peace. It's actually a command. Be at peace. That even though you differ um, in, with brothers and sisters, what remains after aiming for restoration, comforting each other, seeking to agree with each other, is then what, what still remains that could be a cause of fraction and not peace, um, sand that down in your own heart. Be at peace, right? You can never point the finger and say, no, you be more peaceful than me. Peacefulness starts here. Be at peace. Live in peace with each other. If we seek to do those four things, 
built on the foundation of rejoicing in the Lord who has saved us. I think that the church can pass through these stormy times, um, leaving the grace of God in our wake. In our wake, to use the language of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the aroma of Christ. Right, that in all of our interactions, as we in our conversations, um, in all different media, let the aroma of Christ um, be smelt. I think if we practice these four things, it will be. Not only that, actually, but even more than the witness to the world, we will experience, no matter what happens, the God of love and peace in our midst. That's what we want, right? Love and peace. The Bible says the way to do that is to seek to aim for restoration, comfort each other, agree with one another, be at peace. That's my prayer for our church um, and for all the churches in this country and really this whole country, that we would experience the God of love and peace in our midst. Amen.